Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Save the date. SFA's 2023 Southern Foodways Symposium will be held October 20th and 21st in Oxford, Mississippi. Over meals and talks, we'll explore this year's theme. Where is the South? We'll ask questions like, how can we identify its edges? Can we mark its coordinates with bourbon, catfish, and berea? Can we map our present South onto the culinary and labor landscapes that preceded it? And what does the tendency to define space with borders tell us about ourselves? Join us as we wander, map, and engage in a lively debate about this place SFA calls home. Tickets will be available for purchase this summer. Stay tuned to southernfoodways.org for more details. The U.S.-Mexico border is a regular fixture in political debate and in our 24-hour news cycle. But often lost in that noise is any discussion of the humanity and culture at our border. Lost, too, are the ways that near-constant strife in the region impacts and reshapes the way people on that border live and relax. In this episode of Gravy, Evan Stern takes us to the streets of Laredo, past and present. Memories of Mexico's Nuevo Laredo's famed Cadillac Bar, mixed with area history dating back to New Spain, spiked with stories of the Prohibition-era South are all stirred together and served up in this contemporary nightlife of Laredo, Texas. I'm Melissa Hall. I'm Mary Beth Lasseter. You're listening to Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells the stories of the changing American South. Evan Stern carries us along to Laredo. The best picture I have of myself with my grandmother was taken when I was five. I'm seated in her lap before a finely set table in a white shirt and blazer while she holds me tight, dressed in a silk turquoise gown with a gold brooch, coiffed hair, and immaculate red lipstick. I know full well we're wearing our best because we're sitting down to dinner at the drive-in in Matamoros, Mexico. A supper club that could have been lifted from the set of a Bogart picture. I remember walking through velvet curtains to enter its dining room, which revealed a bandstand and dance floor with couples gliding to the tunes of Augustine Lara. Best of all was the steak Diane and baked Alaska, which tuxedoed waiters flamed at our table. These images remain etched in my mind as my first taste of elegance. And while many of my high school pals remember Mexican border towns for their all-you-can-drink specials, I remember them for refined, old-world places like these. Reynosa, near McAllen, had Sam's, whose two-meat dinner was famous. Further west, across from Del Rio, in Ciudad Acuna, was Ma Crosby's, which George Strait immortalized in his song, Blame It On Mexico. And Nuevo Laredo, had the Cadillac Bar, whose memory I'm not alone in holding dear. I miss going. 
I do miss going over there to go eat, go shop. We used to go for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We used to go dance. We used to go have a life at the same time. You know, they would come, we would go. It was, it was just part of our fabric, our culture. When you went after prom, that's where you would go. That era is sad that it's over and, and that, I don't know, I don't know if it's ever gonna come back. That's Elsa Rodriguez. We're chatting over tea and pie in the front room of La India Packing Company, the spice shop her grandfather opened on Laredo's Marcella Avenue after migrating to Texas from Mexico in the 20s. If you hear a bit of wistfulness in her voice, it's because she has a hard time recalling her last visit to Nuevo Laredo, which isn't more than two miles from where we're sitting. Elsa tells me that growing up, she crossed without hesitation and that these communities remain inextricably linked. In fact, Laredo and Nuevo Laredo originally began as one city. Established as a ferry crossing in 1755, its founder Don Tomas Sanchez chose Laredo for its location on the river we now call the Rio Grande. A little more than 90 years later, when the land north of the river was ceded to the U.S. following the Mexican-American War, some longtime residents moved south into Mexican territory and founded Nuevo Laredo, while others stayed in Texas. Centuries later, Margarita Araiza, executive director of the Webb County Heritage Foundation, tells me these connections continue to be deep and wide-ranging. They are connected by ties of, of family, of blood, of long, long history of being together, as well as commercial ties. When it became an international boundary, people didn't consider it that way. And here in Laredo, it's very true what the saying uh, is about, I didn't cross the border, the border crossed me. Today, Laredo, Texas, is a fast-growing center of trade that's now the largest inland port in the United States. Railroad freight traffic comes through here, truck traffic comes through here, human beings come through here. It's, it's an easy crossing. As a crossing, last year saw well over 5 million trucks carry nearly $300 billion in goods over its bridges. That's more than double what it was 20 years ago. Yet, during this same time, the border has also hardened in ways that have vastly altered these neighboring cities' social dynamics. On the American side, 9-11 spurred a wave of stringent counterterrorism and immigration policies that slowed the process of entry. In Mexico, the 2003 arrests of the Gulf Cartel's leader spurred a protracted turf war amongst rival factions for control of Nuevo Laredo's point of entry. The conflict has ebbed and flowed ever since. In 2005, police chief Alejandro Dominguez Coelho was assassinated within eight hours of his swearing-in. In 2012, a car bomb was detonated outside the mayor's office in the municipal palace. And last spring, gunmen fired shots at the American consulate. Their workers, as of this taping, are forced to adhere to curfews and movement restrictions, while the U.S. State Department advises against travel there altogether. This stands in direct contrast to Laredo, Texas, which Smart Assets recently cited as one of the 15 safest urban areas in the U.S. These divisions are also unrecognizable from the border Wanda Garner Cash knew growing up. Going into North Laredo for whatever reason was just uh, geography. It, it wasn't a boundary. It was uh, crossing the street 
crossing the bridge, crossing the Rio Grande was just like going to a different neighborhood. Now living in the Texas Hill Country, after years on the faculty of UT Austin's journalism school, Wanda grew up in Laredo thanks to her grandfather, Mayo Bassan, who moved there in the 1920s. My grandfather, Mayo Bassan, was a bartender and waiter in New Orleans. Uh, he worked at all the big places there, the Rat Skeller, um, the uh, Imperial Cabinet uh, with Charlie Ramos. He worked at Galatoire's. But then Prohibition came along and shut everything down. While honeymooning in Texas, Mayo paid a visit to a cousin who suggested he consider checking out Nuevo Laredo for opportunities. So he left his new 18-year-old bride alone in San Antonio so he could explore Nuevo Laredo unencumbered. He immediately saw possibility. And he thought it was the land of opportunity. And he thought, aha, what this place really needs is fancy drinks and good food. And he figured that the people in Laredo who were suffering from prohibition, and and really all the people in Texas, would flock to this new creation of his. And indeed, they did. That new creation, which Mayo funded with gambling winnings, was the Cadillac Bar, whose title he chose because he thought it sounded rich. And in 1926, after taking over the space of a cavernous old cantina, he set about creating an experience that lived up to that name. He built a dining room of terrazzo-tiled floors and covered the ceiling with pressed tin. Its tables were draped in white cloth with embroidered napkins and china that borrowed the same branded script as Galatoire's. Its white walls were lined with beveled mirrors and framed images of Louisiana, And as a conversation piece, Mayo bought Pancho Villa's saddle from a Mexico City distiller and displayed it inside where it quickly provided a prop for family photos. If this weren't enough, he also kept a menagerie of monkeys, macaws, parrots, and even a beer-drinking bear in a makeshift zoo out back. Still, most iconic was the room's famously long, stand-up carved mahogany bar, whose White-jacketed, bow-tied drinksmiths were renowned for their gracious hospitality. Anytime you walked in, it was, it was almost hail fellow well met. You felt at home immediately. My grandfather and my father never forgot a face or a name. And it was where old friends meet. For, for many, many years, that was the motto of the Cadillac, where old friends meet. One of Wanda's old friends is native Laredo and Pete Mims, who remembers the Cadillac's bar scene well. People would stand up against the bar, and you don't see that much anymore. There's no chairs at that bar. It was just a, probably a 50-foot-long bar, and bartenders back there shaking drinks, and everybody's just bellied up to the bar, and the dining room's going crazy, everybody's talking. And In regard to the dining room, Pete says the food served at the Cadillac was pretty different from most other places in the region. Most of his menu was, was New Orleans-inspired. I mean, he had shrimp Louisiane, uh, the, uh, the frog legs, which are, are a real uh, French-inspired dish, uh, turtle soup. Speak with anyone who dined at the Cadillac, and at some point they'll likely mention the frog legs, which were a crispy, lightly fried delicacy Basson introduced to the border. Frog legs were an important part of the cuisine in, in Louisiana. And my grandfather introduced them 
to the customers at the Cadillac who just absolutely raved about them. Though Mayo himself wasn't a cook, he grew up around them in his hometown of New Iberia, Louisiana. And Wanda says much of the menu borrowed heavily on family recipes, while, of course, making room for dishes more typical of his adopted region. It was mostly Cajun and Creole cuisine. Dishes, uh, especially seafood, with sauces. They did have enchiladas and tacos and chicken envueltos, which were divine. But it was not typical Tex-Mex food. It was Mexican food. But while Nuevo Laredo was very much landlocked, seafood became the Cadillac specialty. And in the days before flash freezing and interstate shipping, they went to great lengths to obtain it. And it came every day from New Orleans to San Antonio on the train. And then from the train in San Antonio on an ice delivery truck to Nuevo Laredo. Soft-shell crabs, crab meat, trout, snapper, flounder, oysters, every day, a fresh delivery. While the food menu went on for pages, no less renowned were their cocktails. And the Cadillac's signature was the famously laborsome Ramos Gin Fizz. A tall drink of gin blended with lime, cream, orange flower water, and a frothy egg white head. Some have likened the fizz to a drinkable meringue. But in 1937, the Cadillac's menu went so far as to extol it as a masterpiece of modern achievement. And having received me as a guest, Wanda generously pours me one in her kitchen. My father always said you had to shake till your, you thought your hands were going to fall off. I'm not shaking that long. It, it is really like dessert, but it's lethal. <laughs> you don't realize how much gin is in there because it's so delicious and sweet. And you have two or three of these, and then you walk out the door of the Cadillac bar into the 108-degree Nuevo Laredo heat, and, you know, you need a nap. <laughs> You've got to have a nap. When we come back, we'll meet the folks and visit the places fueling 21st century Laredo's nightlife. But first... Lodge Cast Iron is a favorite among home cooks and chefs across the South. That's because their American-made cast iron helps bring great recipes to life, whether you're cooking over a campfire, grill, in the oven, or on a stovetop. Feed a crowd with a classic cast iron Dutch oven, or fry something new in an iconic skillet. And for all the pan fans out there, the Lodge Museum of Cast Iron helps you celebrate Southern cooking, culture, and food ways. Enjoy a day trip to beautiful South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, to visit the world's largest cast iron skillet and shop in the Lodge Factory Store. Go to LodgeCastIron.com to learn more. For their dedication to quality cookware and longtime support of the Gravy Podcast, SFA Thanks Lodge. After Mayo Besson died in the 60s, Wanda's father, Porter Garner, assumed full control of the Cadillac. But while he proudly served such notable guests as Marlon Brando, Anthony Quinn, Katie Jurado, and the comedian Cantinflas, the work was also all-consuming. And by the late 70s, he decided it was time to turn the keys over to his employees. On December 1st, 1979, my husband and I and my father went to the Cadillac and we loaded 
items that had significant sentimental interest to us, including my father's 30-gallon wine sauce pot, Pancho Villa's saddle, the crazy distorted mirror that was at the entrance, the sign, little things that had no real financial value but had great emotional value to the family. And that was it. And that was the end of the Cadillac Bar for, the, for our family. Not long after Garner's departure, the Longoria family, who were the Cadillac's landlords, took control of the ship and kept the party going for over three decades. The uniforms remained, as did much of the menu. The business survived a family feud that forced a move, as well as the economic fallout from the peso's 1994 devaluation. So, when confronted with Nueva Laredo's shifting landscape in the early 2000s, owner Salido Longoria pledged he'd never let it go. Yet, tourists stopped coming, many of Nueva Laredo's wealthier residents moved to the American side, and in 2010, empty dining rooms forced him to close after more than 80 years of memories. The Cadillac was just one of many Nueva Laredo businesses pushed into this position. But its denouement felt particularly symbolic for people like Margarita Araiza, as its shuttering represented more than the loss of a watering hole, but an entire era of cafe society and cultural exchange that had been enjoyed for generations. It was pretty sudden, the way, the way things changed. And um, the difference in the lifestyles of Laredoans today, especially young people, uh, I, it's very sad to me to think that so many young people don't have that experience of going across and celebrating with your friends from Nuevo Laredo and vice versa. Um, it's just a very, very different world now. Elsa Rodriguez feels this loss as well. We lost our just simple enjoyment of our culture, of our sister city. We, we lost the fact that, you know, you can't just come and go. You cannot just come and go. The life that we had before, that we took for granted, that we thought would always be here, is gone. Well, for decades, people crossed south to fill their cups. That happens now on the American side, where Laredo's food scene has boomed with eateries like El Capataz, República, and Lolita's Bistro that have drawn on many of the fine dining traditions once experienced in Nuevo Laredo. Among this new breed of restaurateurs is Pete Mims, who in 2013 opened a restaurant called The Border Foundry, whose name nods to the Laredo metal business his grandfather opened in 1909. A large, bright, and airy space in a suburban center. The foundry's brick walls are interspersed with tools, manhole covers, and other objects from the family's old shop. Its menu offers items like tomahawk steak, rack of veal, and duck confit ravioli. But I'm here for the frog legs. It's totally inspired by the Cadillac bar, because growing up as a kid, we always ate frog legs. More than this, when Wanda published a book of family memories and recipes, Pete honored her with a party that featured a tasting menu entirely gathered from the Cadillac. I even had turtle soup, which is turtle soup. Turtle is hard to find. So we did turtle soup for frog legs, shrimp Louisiane, uh, 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 the tenderloin with a red wine sauce over it. We just feel like we knocked it out of the park. 
After talking for a while, we move to the bar where happy hour drinkers are filtering in. Pete orders me a plate of frog legs and a Ramos gin fizz. It's hard not to smile, as for me, this sensory experience is almost like being reunited with an old friend. Yet the taste is also bittersweet, because Pete says he doesn't know if we'd be sitting here had history unfolded differently for Nuevo Laredo. The majority of, of all the families, the more well-to-do families that lived over there, they all live here now. They got out of Nuevo Laredo, which is sad. But I have them, they all come here now. A lot of people, a lot of places would not be open anymore, open here, if Laredo, if Nuevo Laredo was on a normal basis. Is it inevitable that one community's loss leads to another's gain? Does it have to be this way? I hope not. But this blossoming scene also has its pleasures. And I can't dismiss the sense of optimism I get from folks like Pete, whose passion for Laredo is infectious. Long overshadowed by other Texas cities and known for its concentrations of poverty, which rank amongst the state's highest, in October, the freight passing through here surpassed the twin ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Through this and attitudes of people I meet, like Cesar Martinez, one gets the sense Laredo was on the cusp of writing a new chapter in its long history. You know, I, I, I think Laredo deserves a lot of good things. So I just hope that one day we learn to embrace our city better um, and invest in our city. Um, if, if, even if it's not money all the time, at least with love, because I think that's very important for our growth. Cesar, who tells me to call him Cheese, expresses his love through cocktails. A native of the town of Freer, which sits about an hour up Highway 59, he moved to Laredo for college, where he paid his tuition by mixing Bahama Mamas at Applebee's. You can now find him behind the counter at Barnito, where readers of the Laredo Morning Times named him this town's best bartender. So we're on Golondrina Drive, which is a swallow, and Nido is a nest. So we're the nest for the swallow. Uh, but, you know, everybody's safe here. Come to the nest, come have fun. Have some laughs, make some memories. A sleek, modern industrial space adjoining a food park behind a strip mall on Laredo's north side. It's one of many new gathering spots that have opened here in recent years, and is a project Cheese is honored to help build. Having come of age in South Texas, he often crossed to Nuevo Laredo with his cousin and friends to enjoy tacos and beer without the worry of being carted. But while nearly 20 years have passed since his last visit, Cheese confesses that Nuevo Laredo's reputation as a party town hasn't always made it easy for businesses like Barnito to forge new paths on the American side. The atmosphere that Nuevo Laredo created, um, I mean, it was fun. I went. Uh, it was fun. It was a huge party. It was cheap beers, cheap shots. It was fun. A lot of that impacted our city so much. So, you know, we do have some bumps in the road where sometimes people don't want to visit us because they don't think we're affordable. But then, you know, you can't let fear suppress you. And, you know, here we are. Here we are. Cheese prepares me a drink called the ARG, which won him 2019's top prize at DC's Chocolate City's Best Competition. He tells me it was inspired by a name for the woman who raised him, his grandmother, Antonio Rodriguez Garza. An avid smoker, Cheese playfully references this aspect of her character by building the drink with mezcal. Yet a splitting of Aperol, elderflower, lemon, and bitters results in a well-balanced, slightly floral drink that I'm told, like his grandmother, 
It's ultimately bright and optimistic. It's not a Ramos gin fizz, but I dare say it tastes like the future. So I raise my glass, not just to cheese, but to days ahead, peace, and these two cities that started as one and continue to be more bonded than map lines suggest. Our two cultures, Texas and Mexico, are really one culture. Not everyone realizes that. And it's a great loss. They are one people. The, the, the Rio Grande is not a, a political subdivision. It's just a river. Stern produced and reported this episode of Gravy. He is the host and creator of Vanishing Postcards, named one of the best podcasts of 2022 by Digital Trends. At the tender age of 11, Evan finished second in Austin's famed O'Henry Punoff. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Special thanks for this episode go to fact checker Katie King and editor Olivia Terenzio. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. My co-host, Mary Beth Lassiter, is our publisher. Want to keep your dancing shoes on? Visit us at southernfoodwaste.org to listen to more episodes of Gravy, like live at Fred's Lounge, and spend a Saturday morning drinking and dancing in Mamou, Louisiana. And while you're there, please consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. And by there, she means on the website, not in Mamu. I mean, you could donate from there. You probably could with your phone. All <laughs> things are possible. Exactly. Exactly.